Middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas and beyond with Tommy Castor and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. Some may say that we are wildly unqualified. Some may say we are only mildly entertaining. I say we are exactly where we are supposed to be in one of the most exciting sports times of the year. We're in my favorite season of the year. Fall has finally started and we have got a ton of football to talk about this week on the Keeper of the Games podcast. The only podcast, as far as we're aware, talking about sports in and around and of interest to Wichita, Kansas. I am Blake Cripps, joined by Tommy Castor. This is episode 103, and you can find us on all of the normal spots. Cogsports.com is the website. Cogpod.podomatic.com for the podcast audio, which is also available pretty much everywhere. Spotify, Stitcher, Google, so many other options. Our videos are on YouTube and our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Keeper of the Games. And we are at Cogpod on Twitter. Tommy, a lot of football to talk about. We are not, you know, we do this show every other week. Um, Obviously, new dad, but part of the downside is there's a lot of news that can break. And I feel like we have got a jam-packed show. There is so much to break down from the last two weeks. There is, and I've got a couple of quick uh, stories to tell you about before we get um, into the show. First off, uh, we record this show um, typically the evening before it drops, and so we're we're recording this show right now with Thursday Night Football on, and I don't know if you're watching, and I've got it on in the background here. How about those Bengals white uniforms? Those are bizarre. Um, I, I feel like I'm watching them. Siegfried and Roy uh, do their residency in Vegas. Like the white Bengal tigers uh, is what it looks like. It's, it's insane to, to see on TV. Oh, wait, wait. Uh, so it's, on, that's, it's on, it's Thursday night football. It's on Amazon. Yeah. Of course I'm not it's watching Amazon. It. Oh, you don't have Amazon. Oh no, we don't have Amazon prime net prime. No. Oh, okay. Well that's your choice. I suppose. Uh, <laughs> second off, second off, uh, just a quick personal note. So I'm getting ready to come do this podcast. And, um, you know, first off, my wife is incredible, love her to death. Um, and she's trying to get more involved in my life. And so um, earlier tonight, uh, I got home from work and we were catching up on the day. And she goes, what are you going to talk about on the podcast tonight? And I'm like, that's nice of you to ask. You're not going to listen, but I'll tell you anyway. So I do. <laughs> I, I break it all down. And then um, I put on a hat. And I typically, if you watch the video, I'm typically wearing a hat. And Almost she goes, always. Why do you? She was like, why do you always wear a hat for the podcast? And I said, I don't know. It just is kind of what I do. And she was like, do you not want people to see your receding hairline? <laughs> and <laughs> I, I had no response to that. And I wow. slowly made I slowly made my way to come and do the podcast. So Working off um, the top. Yeah, it is, it is what it is. So those are my two stories to kick off the show. Wow, support men. Jeez, God, brutal. Yeah, I think there's only been, I think, there's only been one episode of the podcast that I'm aware of where I wore a hat and you did not. I think yeah. that might have been the national championship episode, if I recall correctly. Might have been. Are might these been. are the are these the wear whites with a white helmet for the Bengals? Is that this what they're is wearing? Just a tonight? Brand new, this is a brand new set. They've never worn like the the white helmet that this is. Yeah, brand I new. think I have They've a never picture of them. I hate these. These are terrible. <laughs> yeah, no, no, terrible. Yeah, but you know, I'm against you know alternate uniforms. No, I'm I'm not your guy for that. Coming up on the show today, Kansas State bounces back to the top twenty-five. The Jayhawks stay perfect. The Royals season in review, even though it's not done. But who cares? Because 
what else is there to review? A new era coming for the Royals as well. But we will begin today with the Chiefs letting the Colts out of the stable. There's no way to sugarcoat this. This one felt like a giveaway in a game where Kansas City outgained Indianapolis by almost 70 yards. The Chiefs found a way to lose 20 to 17 to the Colts last Sunday. Of course, they beat the Chargers the week before. Pretty impressive win over the Chargers. We both think the Chargers are a pretty good team. This last game, though, is the one that we're going to spend the bulk of our focus on just because it was so disappointing. The game started promisingly enough, three and out by the Chiefs defense, but then the trouble started. Kansas City fumbles the punt inside the 10-yard line. Colts immediately score. Still looked like Kansas City was going to be able to pull it out after a field goal in the fourth quarter, put them up 17-10. to but the Colts' Matt Ryan led another fourth-quarter comeback with 24 seconds left after a Chris Jones unsportsmanlike conduct call for taunting after the Chiefs had made the stop on fourth down, kept the offense out, prolonging the drive. Kansas City falls to 2-1 and one on the year. The Colts move to a very interesting 1-1-1 one, one, and one on the season. Tommy, it's hard to feel anything different for me other than this was a game, not the one that not a game that the Colts won. This was a game that the Chiefs basically just handed to Indianapolis and said, here, just just take this. They gave them so many free points, had so many opportunities to make just one more simple play to win this game. And whether it was the, you know, we're going to talk about the unsportsmanlike call at the end. Special teams were absolutely brutal. Um, and the offense wasn't great, but it, it certainly does not feel like Kansas City should be losing to Indianapolis this year. No, not a chance. The, they gave that one away, and it's completely inexcusable uh, the way that, that that game played out. I tweeted this uh, after the game, and I, I still stand by this. I don't know how really anybody was allowed on the plane uh, to go home after that <laughs> well, game. Like it was, you can't fire that was everybody. Embarrassing. Um, re- and honestly, I think the only silver lining that I can take away from that game, uh, if we want to start with the, the positives, and there were you know few and far between uh, during that game, but I thought Steve Spagnola called a brilliant game. Oh, I yeah, defense, defense played, played fine. Defense played really well. Now, Indianapolis, let's keep in mind, outside of Jonathan Taylor, you know they, they don't really have much. Michael Pittman Jr. is a good receiver, but Matt Ryan is well past his He's prime. He's way past he, his prime. He did not play well on on Saturday or on Sunday. So I felt like the Chiefs' defense. There were some concerns going into that game. Remember Willie Gay Jr. was out and is going to be out for the next three weeks due to his suspension that came down after the Chargers game, but before the Colts game. So he's out uh, entirely for the next few weeks. And there was a lot of question marks about. Hey, he's Kansas City's primary run stopper, and the Colts have Jonathan Taylor. So what does that look like for Kansas City defensively? And the, the defensive line played well. They got good play out of Nick Bolton and Darius Harris, who uh, Harris you know filled in for Willie Gay in the majority of the snaps defensively for Kansas City. So they did a pretty good job shutting down the run for the most part, limiting what Matt Ryan could do. Um, and outside of the, the Chris Jones penalty, which we're nearly a week removed from it, and, and still nobody except for Chris Jones and Matt Ryan and the referee know exactly what was said because it hasn't been released yet. But outside of that, that stupid mistake from Chris Jones, the defense played really solid. To Chris Jones's credit and to, to show his character and the kind of guy that he is, he owned it. You know, he owned it 100%. entirely after the game, accepted responsibility, accepted the blame. You can't do that. I don't care. And I, I'm. it sucks that we're in a place in football where something like that gets penalized in such a crucial time in the game. 
But regardless of that, and regardless of the referee's decisions, you can't do that. I don't care if you're Chris Jones or anybody else. In that moment, at that juncture of the game, you just simply can't do that. So, But other than that, I felt like the defense played really well. That's about the only silver lining I take from the game. No, the the offense was, the, the running game took, I thought, a huge step backwards. They had 128 yeah. against Arizona. 93 against the Chargers. Again, we feel like that's a pretty good team. So that's not, to me, a a real negative thing. But Clyde Edwards-Hilaire against the Colts had seven rushes for zero yards. Zero. And I said at the beginning of the season, you know, you can only put so much on the passing game. And I get that it's a passing first league. It's a quarterback-driven league and sport right now with the way that the rules are set up to make it so easy and so much, you know, you look at all the statistical models, they will all tell you, you need to be throwing the football. And I understand all of that. But if you only can throw, I still believe that teams can game plan for you and will game plan for you. And the offense was really just Kind of meh, pretty vanilla, Not just not that good. Their expected positive points was 1.7, which is nothing to write home about. Patrick Mahomes was fine. The passing game was fine, but the running game was dreadful. Uh, his second, you know, first interception of the year for Patrick Mahomes, obviously that was going down the field very quickly at the very end of the game, made a bad throw. But at that point, you know, you're forcing things. You, you the, the game is taken out of your hands at that point. It was by far the best performance of the defense that they've had this year. Now, I wouldn't, I would pump the brakes a little bit to say, you know, the Colts are probably the worst offense that the Chiefs have played this year. Arizona has been very underwhelming to begin the year, but you know, statistically it was certainly the Chiefs' best performance and I do agree with you Steve Spagnola, you know, had the defense in the right place to make, to make the right plays, but I am a little bit concerned about this running game. The the running game has been just very very it's just kind of been along for the ride over the the entire Patrick Mahomes era pretty much. And until that running game can at least be a level where teams have to respect it, you know, the Chiefs are just not doing that good of a job. You look at what they did on third down in that game. It's just not good enough when you consider the kind of quarterback that the Chiefs have. You know, you've got to be able to do better than three for 10 on third down. You know, you've got to be able to do better than having two fumbles, two turnovers, and out gaining a team by 70 yards and losing by three to a team, you know, that's just not that good. Indianapolis just isn't that yeah. good. Shouldn't be losing to. And, and no, I don't want to pile. I don't want to pile on Clyde Edwards Elaire. Um, it wasn't just him in the running game. Isaiah Pacheco did not play well. And he no. is supposed to be the guy who can break through the defensive line. He's got 20 pounds uh, on on Clyde Edwards Elaire. And he was bottled up for most of the game. Three attempts for him, nine yards on the ground. Jarek McKinnon carried the ball more than anybody else. Seven attempts for only 20 yards. He averaged under three yards a carry. So nobody was getting it done with the running game. It wasn't working at all. And, but I, I agree with you about the overall concern for the running game, but to be completely frank, I think the the issues go deeper. They go beneath just the running game. There are issues in the passing game too. Now we, we know who Patrick Mahomes is. We know the special kind of generational quarterback that he is. 
and the importance that he has to this team. And, and I'm not discounting that at all, but I was really, really excited. And I think I talked about it when we previewed the chief, the chiefs this season, I was really excited about the prospect of having a significant amount of depth in the wide receiver room. You were going away from the Tyreek Hill era where you leaned on him quite a bit and you're replacing Tyreek Hill with quantity. You've got Marquez Valdez-Scantling. You've got Juju Smith-Schuster. You drafted Sky Moore. You've got Justin Watson to go alongside uh, McCall Hardman. And so there was this depth here that we hadn't seen before in the wide receiver room. And really, it's not done well. Like, they've done fine uh, at best. They've I mean, done fine Juju's- at best. I mean, Juju right? Smith-Schuster had five catches for 89. He had a 53-yarder. Four different receivers had a 20-plus-yard reception. Kelsey, four for 58 for, for 29. I th- I think that the that they've looked pretty good. The, the, the problem, though, is that defenses now know who the, who the security blanket is. They knew it before. They knew it was both Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. Sure. Now the security blanket is just, is just Travis Kelsey. And it doesn't matter. You know, I know that Kelsey went on to social media after the game and blamed himself for the drop in the end zone. That was a catchable um, ball. That's a ball he normally catches. Was, sure, without a doubt. But that loss was not on him. That loss was not on his shoulders. And I know he's a team leader. He's taking responsibility for it. But I'm sorry, Kelsey, you can't do it all. You can't do everything. <laughs> there have to be other facets of the offense that show up and I know that this topic has been discussed and talked about over and over and over again nationally regionally in Kansas City locally here in Wichita and I, I again I don't want to pile on um, but I there there are there are clearly some issues with Patrick Mahomes and Eric Bieniemy. there are clearly some issues with the way that this offense is being ran and I'm not saying that it is anything that can't be fixed, but this is not the first time that we've heard this narrative where there's smoke, there's fire. And unfortunately, it's not happening in the offseason like it did last time. It's happening in the middle of the season. So these things need to start being addressed because there were multiple times, to your point, on third down, they were three of ten. Things were not humming offensively the way that we're used to seeing the Kansas City's offense hum. Not on third down. You know, I I don't know if I we were we have both been on the pro Eric Bieniemy train on this show. Uh, I don't know if I entirely agree that all of a sudden this guy just can't coach offense. I don't. No, get I'm not that. suggesting that at all. No, I'm not suggesting he can't coach. I'm not suggesting that he's the problem. It takes two to tango. Sure. Um, you know, I, there's is Andy Reid? Doesn't he get some percentage of the blame here? Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's clearly miscommunication going on in the offensive play calling and it's not in, and the game plan and the game management and all of that. That's what the argument stemmed from. If you, if you believe, which I do, if you believe what Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and Eric Bieniemy have all said, like it was Mahomes wanting to go out and run another play before the end of the half. And Bieniemy said, no, go to the locker room. And there was a disagreement and and Andy Reid came in and got in the middle of it. Isn't that Andy Reid's decision though? They weren't on. I'm just saying they weren't on the same page. I don't think it matters necessarily whose decision it was. They weren't on the same page and they weren't on the same page for the majority of the game. And it showed, especially in crucial uh, situations when, when the game was close and it was late. 
the the interesting I, I think the good thing the thing that you have to as a Chiefs fan take a deep breath step back there's so many different factors that the Chiefs just win this game even playing how they did because the defense was so good special teams obviously you give them a touchdown to start Dumpster the game fire. awful Dumpster fire the the Chiefs Does need that, by the way I I don't mean to interrupt you special teams has always been a hallmark of you know the 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 Chiefs like especially with Dave for the most there part. and you know for a long time like he's a solid special teams coach has been there a long time his his squads are known for their discipline and their athleticism does this concern you long term with the special teams I know no. Harrison Butker Harrison Butker is is going to get healthy again and that's not a big deal but you've got two young guys in Sky Moore and Isaiah Pacheco returning punts and kicks neither one of them did a good job on Sunday against the Colts and then you have some weird decision making with fake field goals and th- does do you think this just was just an anomaly a one off or is there some concerning things here it's the second game of the year they've had a negative expected points in special teams the first game was the cardinals i think it's an anomaly for now i can understand going for the fake field goal you had had a kicker who they obviously did not trust kicker that they had already missed a kick hated it so i i totally understand that you know now, do you maybe in hindsight think maybe we can keep the ball in Patrick Mahomes' hands? 100%. I think that that's if a very defensible position. If you don't trust Matt Amendola to kick for you, which you shouldn't, and I certainly didn't, <laughs> and you're going to go for it, then leave the ball in number 15's hands to go and get you a first down. But we down. just said earlier the Chiefs were pretty terrible on third down. Yeah. They, yeah. They, they were pretty bad on third down. So, I mean, I can get that, but I feel like – if you have Butker, you just make a field goal there. You don't miss the field goal, and you just win the game, probably. So it, it's no time to panic for Kansas City. There's still a lot of football left this year. Let's see how things go against Tampa Bay. The Chiefs are going to play this game in Tampa. It came out today. So despite Hurricane Ian, it did just dodge the Bay Area. So this Tampa Bay is going to host this game. The Chiefs are getting one whole point, one point for the Chiefs. So they are a slight betting favorite. Um, I'm staying away from this game, Tommy, but obviously this is going to be a big-time matchup. Sunday night football, Patrick Mahomes versus the Golden Boy, Tom Brady, and two teams that I think people had a lot of expectations for, but two teams in Tampa Bay and Kansas City that aren't quite living up to the preseason hype so far. And I think that... Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes, although Patrick Mahomes, he, I mean, he had a quarterback rating of 80. He completed 20 of 35 passes. I mean, he was good. He has just one interception in three games. I mean, he's playing fine, but he and Tom Brady, both of them, not quite living up to the hype of being, you know, two of maybe the two best quarterbacks coming into the season. Yeah, no. And, and for Tom Brady, I mean, there's a couple things here. First off, he's missed a bunch of weapons. You know, like last week he didn't have Mike Evans due to that fight during the Saints game. Of course. Um, and, you know, Chris Godwin. And there have been some injuries there um, that have, you know, really depleted his receiver core. Biggest but test then, for the Chief defense this week? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean. I, I agree. Um, you know what? Actually, no, I don't I don't think so. I think that they're, the Chargers. Probably, they're probably second to the Chargers, um, you know, because of who, of what Justin Herbert can do and all of the weapons that he had. Austin Eckler running the football. Tom Brady is kind of on an island by himself right now. Like Leonard Fournette is OK. He's been an OK NFL running back. He's not anything amazing. Um, and it just really, you know, I think to me, it really comes down to 
um, what kind of what kind of receiver play he gets. They've got Cole Beasley down there now on the active roster in Tampa Bay. Um, you know, so I I don't know. That's going to be interesting. And then you look at just the disruption in the week for the Bucks and their practice schedule down in Miami because of Hurricane Ian and you know the uncertainty of where they're going to play on Sunday. So you know, I think that this is a good get right week for Kansas City. Uh, I think They're it's an catching opportunity Tampa for Bay them. at a good time. Yeah, and I think they've got an opportunity to to get a little bit healthier. We'll see if Harrison Butker can kick uh, on Sunday or not. They please, did release please. Matty Amendola. They signed a guy named Matthew Wright to the practice squad. We'll see if he ends up playing what that <laughs> looks knows? like. I don't know. Just let Justin Reed kick if you need somebody to. Uh, if if Butker can't go at this point, but still leads it's a good the opportunity for them. But you know what? One one thing I want to point out is that. Yeah, like it's a good opportunity for a get-right week, and they are catching Tampa Bay at a good time. But keep in mind, it's still TB12. It, oh, it's sure. It's still the GOAT. And, you know, whenever he steps out on that field, he gives his team an opportunity to go out and win a football game. So it'll be a lot of fun. Once again, it's a Sunday night football game on NBC coming up this week. Kansas State bouncing back to the top 25. These last two weeks, pretty hard to parse if you are a Kansas State fan. You went from thinking that you have no offense and no plan and no hope this year to feeling like, wow, we got a quarterback and a shot to win the Big 12 after an inexplicable 17-10 loss to Tulane in which the offense looked like it would probably have trouble scoring on Bishop Carroll. They dumped 41 (laughs) on number 6 Oklahoma in Norman in a 41-34 win. Cats are 1-0 in the league, and honestly, they're now in the driver's seat for the conference championship, they have won. I mean, I think we both agree probably at Oklahoma going to be the toughest place to win in the Big 12 this year. So they've got the toughest part of their schedule out of the way. Tommy, the entire narrative of this team have swiveled immediately. I cannot tell you how much on those call-in shows for post-game on the K-State Sports Network. Adrian Martinez is too conservative. Adrian Martinez doesn't have what it takes to lead this team. He's not running the ball, can't make big plays, not doing enough with his feet. All of a sudden, 41 points on the Sooners. I'm going to get to his numbers. He's the conference offensive player of the week for a reason, and it's quite an impressive turnaround for Coach Kleiman, who continues to absolutely own the soul of of Oklahoma, no matter who the head coach is. Yeah, that was quite an effort uh, for the Wildcats. I didn't see them that coming. Neither did I. Uh, I thought that the Tulane game was an aberration. I didn't that think play that play calling the Wild- was an aberration. Yeah, but I, I certainly didn't think that it was something that could that would it would continue that way. But I certainly didn't think that they would get right against Oklahoma. I certainly didn't think that they would win that game. Um, I still, I still had OU covering. Um, I thought that it would Whoops. be a little bit closer, but I, I thought OU would cover that game. I mean, easy. Even though we know what the history uh, is with the Wildcats um, in in Norman and taking on the Sooners, I still thought that you know the the Sooners would cover that. But regardless, that was a, a great effort by Chris Kleiman's uh, by Chris Kleiman's crew, and I think that. Yes. Adrian Martinez unlocked something. We're going to talk about what he did and his stats, but I don't think it can be understated how essential and how important it was for the Wildcats to get out to a 14-0 start, to start off the game the way that they did and punch Oklahoma in the mouth 
right out of the gate. And it was a dominant drive. I mean, they cut through the Oklahoma defense. It absolutely was. And this was a defense that, for Oklahoma, that I know Nebraska is a dumpster fire, but they... (laughs) Nebraska is terrible but the d the oklahoma defense i watched that big noon game with ou and nebraska a couple of weeks ago and the sooners made the the cornhuskers defense look silly throughout that entire game like they hung they hung 49 on nebraska and you know and then of course defensively they only gave up 14 you know so i i felt like um that that the fact that Kansas State was able to get out there to a 14-0 lead early on in the game, set the tone, and once you got out from there, the final three quarters, they played even, you know, and so the fact that they never let OU lead, they got, you know, the game was tied at one point, but OU never led, um, it really took the wind out of the sails of the Sooners and their game plan going into this game, so I think that was the key to that, that victory for Kansas State was getting out to an early lead. Obviously, I think defensively for Kansas State, this is the best offense that they had played all year. And Dylan Gabriel was still really good. I mean, 26 for 39, 330 and four touchdowns. They gave up 220 yards on the ground. Kansas State's got things to figure out when they play the good offenses, the other good offenses in the Big 12. It's hard for me to say this, but like when they play an offense like KU has, they're they're gonna struggle, I think. So defensively, they, you know, we wanted to see. That's something we talked about on our last show. How is Kansas State going to be when they play an elite offense? Defensively, they were not up to the task. Offensively, not only did this exceed my expectations, I think that this exceeded my wildest dreams for Kansas State. Adrian Martinez came into this game averaging 115 yards passing and 50 yards on the ground. He went 21 for 34. 234, a touchdown, no picks. On the ground, 21 for 148 with no lost yards. And in in college football, when you get sacked, it's rushing yards. So he lost zero yards, four touches, seven yards a carry, and had a 55-yarder. Adrian Martinez looked like the guy who was making plays at Nebraska. Deuce Vaughn didn't score, but still got his. I mean, they ran 275 yards. They ran over Oklahoma. And the passing game was there. It had a pulse. It existed. They had to honor it. They had three guys catch balls for over 20 yards. Kansas State in this game against Oklahoma. You look at what they did. I'm pulling up the third down stats right now. Oklahoma lost on third down. Kansas State, 8 of 17. That's the one thing that Kansas State did defensively. Oklahoma was only 4 of 13 on third down. So Kansas State, a lot like last year when the Kansas State special teams, or maybe it was the offense, gave them short fields. It was a bend but don't break defense, and they got off the field when they had to. But offensively, this was amazing. Like When you listen to the two games, and you listened and looked at what they did against Tulane, like, why didn't you just call those plays? And, you know, I heard online, well, maybe they were saving them for Oklahoma. They didn't want to win that Tulane game. Wanted Oklahoma to take them. Like, come on. Like, they're going to let Tulane beat them? Give me a break. Like, I just felt like the play calling was so predictable, so vanilla against Tulane. Like, they thought, well, we're just going to be able to give the ball to Deuce Vaughn, and he'll just run over them because we should have better athletes. And Tulane was like, I'm not 
that good of athletes. But against Oklahoma, they opened it up. Adrian Martinez took chances. He threw the ball with confidence. And he ran the ball with confidence. And with when Adrian Martinez and Deuce Vaughn are running the ball like that and the offensive line is blocking like that, no sacks on Adrian Martinez, by the way, that's an offense that concerns me. I mean, I, it, it, I can't explain how shocked I was that they scored that many points in Oklahoma. I, I, I can't explain it. When Kansas State played Tulane, there is no doubt about it. The Green Wave, coached by Willie Fritz, Kansas native, absolutely exposed the Wildcats for who they were at the time. And it was, like you said, give the ball to Deuce Vaughn. He is an All-American, and he's just going to do his thing. And Their game plan was 22 is not beating us. He's our ride and die, and we're going to roll with him. And all Tulane did was stack the box. All they did was put everybody on the Deuce Vaughn lookout and dared Adrian Martinez to beat them. And he was not up for that dare. No. And neither was Colin Klein, and neither was Chris Kleiman at that time. On top of it, Kansas State in that Tulane game was absolutely abysmal on third and fourth downs. They could not keep drives going. And Tulane, to their credit, <laughs> and Willie Fritz. Had, Let me interrupt you. Okay. They were one for 12 yep. Yep. against Tulane. One for yep. 12. And by the way, yep. the defense played great. I mean, they gave up 17 sure. points, but Without the defense played really good against Tulane. Without a doubt. I mean, t- yeah, Tulane didn't play much better offensively than Kansas oh, sorry. State did. They, they were, were one for 12. Kansas State was two for 15. Two yeah, for 15 it, on third down. It was it was not good on no. third. And then what was fourth down? Like 0 for 2? 0 uh, for 3? Something like down, that? Fourth down, 1 for 5. One Tulane for five, was yeah. 1 for 12 on, on third yeah. down. So, yeah, Kansas State defensively, what else What else can you yeah. ask for? It was a, I mean, it was a, I, I watched that game. It was a punt fest back and forth between Tulane and Kansas State. Like, neither team could stay on the field. Um, but And Willie Fritz took chances uh, when he needed to, and it worked out for, for them. It didn't work out for Kansas State. So... That's what happened with Tulane. And to the credit of the staff at Kansas State and Chris Kleiman specifically, they made the adjustments that they needed to. And they unlocked something, like I said, in Adrian Martinez. But let me be very clear about something. The fact that people are shocked that Adrian Martinez did this should be embarrassed that they're shocked. So I guess I'm including you in that because (laughs) this is a quarterback, Blake. Let's not forget He was on a Heisman watch list during his time at Nebraska. Did he live up to it? Not necessarily. His tenure wasn't great at Nebraska. But there were really big interceptions for Nebraska. There were clearly people that saw what Adrian Martinez was capable of doing. He got more conservative during his time at Nebraska because of the turnovers. He came into Kansas State in the first couple of games. He got he was incredibly conservative, like almost gun shy PTSD. Sure. Like I'm not I'm not turning the ball over. I'm not that kind of quarterback anymore. And then they were able to unlock him. But the fact that like I I have said it multiple times, like Adrian Martinez can do it. It's not a question of whether or not he can. The talent level is there. The talent is there. He can do it. It's just a matter of will he do it? Will that Adrian Martinez show up? And it certainly showed up on the biggest stage against Oklahoma. And yeah, I'm I'm with you. That bodes really, really well for the Wildcats as they move forward. I mean, you look at who they've got. They've got Texas Tech coming up. At Iowa State, at TCU, we're going to learn a lot about the pecking order in the Big 12 
we're going to get to the KU Iowa State game coming up here in a little bit, which, boy, that's got a lot of writing on it, way more for the conference standings than we thought it was. And then, uh, you know, do we know that much about Oklahoma State yet? Texas is Texas is a mess, as usual. We probably yeah. both thought that that was going to happen. But, you know, you look at this Kansas State team, tough road trips at Baylor. That's really it. At Iowa State, obviously the Cyclones, Jack Trice Stadium, they're always going to get up for Kansas State, especially if they beat Texas Tech this week. That October 8th game is going to be on the U. It's a night game, 6.30 p.m. Uh, that would be a t- you know a game against probably what would be what a top 20 Wildcat team if they win against Texas Tech this week at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. So, But you look at what they've got. You know, you're really boiling the season down to to three games if you're a Kansas State fan, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, and Baylor. You know, I think at the end of the day, we both kind of believe that, like, we've watched so much bad KU football. We just know in our hearts, like, this just can't continue. I would love for there to be college game day at, for the Dylan Sunflower Showdown. Can you imagine college game day in Manhattan, Kansas, and the nation's watching KU Kansas State with a Big Twelve championship on the line, but it that just can't happen, yeah. right? It, but it would for, be that'd be incredible if it that did. Would be so unbelievable. But you look at Kansas State; they kind of control their own destiny right now. They have gone they to the the you know the SEC juggernaut and punched them in the mouth. You kind of have to think Kansas State's the favorite right now. I think they're the yeah. favorite to win the conference from here on out. And they had expectations going into this season to compete for a Big 12 title. Yeah, we were. That's, that's something that's we talked been the goal. about. We was, talked about that. Yeah, and and I think that's what made the two lane loss so excruciating. Uh, just because, like, all right, well, this was a team that was supposed to compete for a Big 12 championship, and now we have so many questions. We don't know. They're a one dimensional offense. Their defense is solid, but you shut down Deuce Vaughn. There's what's left, and we know we know what else is there now. And yes. So that momentum needs to continue for Kansas State. And, you know, you, you mentioned a couple of these other teams in the Big 12. First off, I think Oklahoma State is one of the more intriguing teams in the league because really they, yeah, you cannot overlook so the Cowboys. Far, what they've done so far is be a top 15 team really, really quietly so far. Like, I, I've not heard hardly anything from the Cowboys. Like, I know it's been non-conference and they're really not playing – anybody right now but you're not hearing a whole lot about them you're hearing about the Sooners and about the Bears and you know all of that yeah it's all the attention right now is on KU Kansas State the fact that Oklahoma lost the fact that Texas Tech has lost you know they're not focused on Oklahoma State just kind of quietly going about their business it's all so Jayhawks Wildcats Baylor that they're getting the, so, the, the skin right now. Yeah, so that's interesting to me, that Oklahoma State team. But then uh, also don't overlook Texas Tech this weekend, you know, going into Manhattan. Um, I, and I, I don't... Play with some I confidence. Think can, yeah, I think that Kansas State, from a talent level, is head and shoulders above Texas Tech right now. I agree. Like, I think they're better. You know, Texas Tech throttled an FCS school, and then their other two victories were in overtime. They, so they, they barely squeaked by the skin of their teeth, and they're 3-1 and one right now. And so, but what the one thing about this Texas Tech team, Joey McGuire is, is in his first year as head coach, and his program is completely bought into him. The players have bought into him. And this guy, I don't know if you've watched any Texas Tech this year or seen what Joey McGuire is doing. This guy takes conventional wisdom in college football and just turns it on on its head. Like he laughs in the face of conventional wisdom. <laughs> this game against Kansas State, don't be surprised if he goes for it on fourth down 
and like eight from like his own forty yard line. Like he just does those that guys. sort of thing. There's no like, oh, there's going to be a decision here. What are they going to do? If there's that kind of decision, he's going for it. Like it's just going to happen. Okay. And so keep an eye on that this weekend. Again, I think that talent wise, Kansas State is better. Uh, but who knows? I mean, Texas Tech, they're fully bought into this guy. I, I do have to point out one other guy because we've said, you know, Kansas State needs a receiver. Who's going to step up in, in the passing game for them? This kid, Ben Sinnott. Yeah. I think that they have found something with him, by the way. I think that, you know, looking for some sort of a security blanket, this guy had on four catches, 80-plus yards, there was one play. It looked like he was pretty much dragging the entire sideline with him on that catch. So I really liked what I saw out of Ben Sennett, four for 80, including that 27-yarder. Phillip Brooks had a pretty solid game. You know, I still think that, you know, there is there a guy in that wide receiving core that I think is going to make a play, make a huge play? You know, I don't know. But Ben Sennett, as a security blanket, really liked him, really liked him in that game. Kansas State right now is giving seven and a half to the Red Raiders this week, coming off of a huge upset of the Longhorns. It's quite a few points. I agree this is a dangerous Red Raiders team, but I have a feeling Texas Tech is not going to be able to take care of business. They may cover, but I think Kansas State is going to go into Iowa State undefeated in conference play. Yeah, I, they certainly have that opportunity. I think that you know that's a big spread. Um Depending on if Adrian Martinez can continue this trend of just playing free football. Oh, he plays like now, that. It's over. No, that, they don't it, have any keep, chance keep, to win. Keep in mind, though, Texas Tech, they are going to know, and they already do know, all about what Adrian Martinez did yes. to Oklahoma. And so they're going to make that an effort, big-time effort. So I would... I would um, actually probably lean on Deuce Vaughn having a big game. Like they put all their attention back on Adrian Martinez. That might let Deuce get loose a little bit. So I I, I like the Wildcats to cover. I think that's what I'm going to go for, but it wouldn't wholeheartedly shock me if Texas Tech can get within that touchdown. Kansas State Wildcats taking on the Red Raiders this week. I believe that is an 11 a.m. start time for that game. I will have that for you here momentarily as the 3-1 and one Red Raiders go to, yep, 11 a.m. kickoff there in uh, Bill Snyder Family Stadium for the Wildcats as, boy, would it, wouldn't it be interesting at the end of the year if they do end up running the table and we're thinking, man, how big is that Tulane loss going to be for yeah. bowl seating? Could that have cost them a chance at the college football playoff? I know that obviously we are getting way, 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 way ahead of ourselves on that. Um, but yeah, this game is going to be on ESPN Plus this week. So you'll have to have the plus for that this week for Kansas State football for that 11 a.m. kickoff. Meanwhile, in Lawrence, the Jayhawks are still undefeated. A 35-27 win over Duke last time out. Offensively, the Jayhawks impress yet again. Jalen Daniels continues to have one of the most remarkable seasons we've ever seen from a Kansas quarterback. Just a week after blowing out Houston 48-30, to not the most impressive defensive performance, but for the second straight week, KU overcame a big deficit, just like they did in overtime at West Virginia. They go to Houston and beat a former, a future conference rival there in the Cougars. So the Jayhawks are 4-0, and their 110th homecoming game coming up against the Iowa State Cyclones. 
19 for 23, Jalen Daniels throws for 324 yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. He ran 11 times for 93 yards, another score. If Adrian Martinez wasn't the player of the week, I think probably was going to be Jalen Daniels again. But Tommy, perhaps the bigger story was the crowd. First sellout at Memorial Stadium since 2009, over 47,000 watched the game in Lawrence. Tommy, you were there in the uh, primo seats there at uh, <laughs> Memorial Stadium. Pretty low, pretty close. So, you know, that radio deal treating you pretty well, it would seem, even on television. Uh, Tommy, I had I have to imagine in person, that was a beautiful sight to see so many fans there. And they were all wearing crimson and blue. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, but I, I do have to correct you very quickly, though. Uh, the last sellout, though, was not in 2009. Oh, that's, it was two years ago. It was in Sunflower 2019. Showdown. It was Sunflower Showdown. But and it was like half to your Kansas point, State fans. It was like, yeah, half purple. And I half do remember that blue. now. Um, so this was the first sellout in 13 years that featured, uh, you know, the vast majority of people uh, being in crimson and blue. And it was it was really exciting. Well, I've, still, I've told a couple people this, but, you know, I've like you mentioned a little while ago on the show, uh, you and I have watched a lot of bad Kansas football over so the last much. decade. And I've gone to a lot of bad Kansas football games in Lawrence over the last eight or nine years. And so I've told a few people this. Um, it, it's not, it, hasn't, it had not been uncommon uh, to go to a Kansas football game and be able to be in my car and basically drive right up to the stadium and sure. get out and, and you know, park, get out and go to the stadium. And we were like stuck I, I in traffic. Time. Yeah, we were stuck in traffic for like 40 minutes coming off of the turnpike, like coming off of I-70. It's a beautiful uh, thing. Right by right by the Hallmark Cards. Yes, uh, factory. factory. I don't know if you, yeah. Um, oh, I've been like through that so up, many times. Backed up all the way like from there to the stadium. Uh, and like to the point to where we were like, man, I hope we make it on time. <laughs> we make um, it. It was just, yeah, it was so un- unreal uh, that that was the situation. But it was great to see everybody show up and pack the booth. And it to me, I think more than anything, it just showed me how hungry Kansas football fans are for a program that has some success. And there's been this narrative that has grown over the years that Kansas football fans are apathetic and really they just don't care. So does it really matter if they have a good football program or not? And that that notion is ridiculous. It is bull crap. Uh, Kansas they fans just want care. something that's relevant. Just exactly. something that isn't just absolute DS every exactly. single year. That's all. Yep, exactly. That's all we've ever asked for. And, you know, will there be peaks and valleys in the Lance Leipold era? Of course. Absolutely. This team is not running the table, boys and girls. I hate to break it to you. They're not going 12-0. What kind of it ain't odds gonna happen. can we get on that? Ain't going to happen. Um, I mean, I, man, I would give significant odds on saying that that was not going <laughs> not to gonna happen. happen. Not going to happen at 12-0. Um, but at the end of the day, though, it's it's fun to watch this. Oh. They're, they're 4-0. I think the expectations have grown higher than what anybody would have predicted at the beginning of the year. We're now talking, and I would I would suggest a bowl game should be the expectation for this season. Like you gotta It'll be a get little bit of a more. disappointment now, won't yep, it? Yep, you gotta get you can't you can't stop at four out of your first four. You gotta go out and get at least a couple more and make it to a bowl game this this season. And then from there, what else are we talking? Are we talking eight? Could it be eight wins? Could it be nine wins? You know, could they be in the big half of the Big Twelve? Could they be in the top three of the Big Twelve this my, season? My Who brain knows? can't process anything that you just said. It, but it's the, it's, a, it's, it's a defense mechanism. That stuff is on that stuff is on the table, though. I know and, it is. 
So, but still, here's the question. It still doesn't seem real. You're describing a it. fantasy world <laughs> that I've only dreamed about for the last 15 years in this nightmare that has been Kansas football. <laughs> This is a serious question, though. Maybe I've asked you this before on the show. I don't remember. But I got to give a quick hat tip uh, to Jacob Obrock, my co-host on Sports Daily, who has asked this question on like live on the air to me every single week after Kansas heard it. has won. And the question is, all right, this is great, but what happens if Kansas loses out? Is it a disappointing season at that point? Like, if they're 4-0 right now, but they drop their last eight, do you walk away and are you disappointed with the season? And my answer, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go first. My answer has consistently been absolutely not it's not a disappointment because the, the win total so far has doubled what it was a year ago, and the expectations are higher than I think anybody thought right now. And so yes. I think that even if they did lose out, I think you start to chalk up this this season as progress and as a win. Um, I, are you different in that? Are you thinking like, man, if they go four and eight now, like I'm going to be disappointed because they should they should do better than that. I, I think that they should. You look at the, who they've got left on their schedule. Um, you know, I I think that this team is should be favored to beat Texas Christian. I really do. I think they got a chance to beat Texas Tech. Um, who knows what state Texas is in? Texas. Famously does not play very well in Lawrence, Kansas in November. Yep. Uh, yep. Lance Leipold, if you're shopping around, be a great birthday present for me. Happens to be on my birthday. Would love to <laughs> okay. see another Longhorn right. loss. So we'll start that train early. But I think I want to see how they play. If they, The only way that I would say that the season would be disappointment, if they go out and they get just canned by 40 the rest of the year, like we've yep. seen these Kansas teams do, then yes, disappointment. I get that. But if, but if they play, you know, you're right. Is it likely that they're going to win out? No. Excessively, no. extremely, impossibly unlikely. So are they going to have a game where they don't play well? It'll probably Oklahoma State's probably going to come up and beat KU by, you know, 28. Probably. Because Oklahoma State just seems to do that. They've owned KU for the last few years. But if they play, you know, could they lose? Could KU lose to Texas Tech? Absolutely, could absolutely lose in, at Lubbock on the road. But if KU plays well, if they lose close, if they keep it within two scores at Oklahoma, if they keep it within a score at Baylor, if they keep it within two scores of Texas, and they lose by a score at, at Kansas State, yeah, I can absolutely see a scenario where you lose out and you're still thinking, man, you know what? We were never out of any game that we were in this mm -hmm. year. And that has been the That's mark. The, progress. The, the demarcation line of KU football yep. is being in the game. I mean, you know, and I know that people will say, oh, there's no, you know, there's no consolation prizes. You either win the game or you don't. That's not where KU football is right now. Okay. Yeah. And uh, right. And on top of that, also, I mean, you have to think about just where this program is right now compared to where it was this time a year ago. And then, Two years ago, I mean, two years ago, the the team is just absolutely abysmal under less miles. Jeff Long is a joke. And, you know, then very it was only a couple months after that, that both of those guys are gone from their yeah, position blows up. Um, and, and so it, there's been clear progress even at the end of last season, you know, they beat Texas and then they they nearly beat Oklahoma and they nearly beat West Virginia. Should have beat West Virginia. Should have beat Oklahoma. Should have beat TCU. Like they, there were yeah. there were several games at the end of the season where you could start to see things percolating a little bit. It's continued on. They had a full off season continued on now. And it's the perfect storm right now. And again, 
realistically, they're not going to go 12 and 0. I no. saw Sports Illustrated and I tweeted this. Sports Illustrated this week projected that I can't even say it with a straight face that Kansas would play in the Sugar Bowl against Alabama. Shut uh, up. And no, it, they did. I just like I can't even say. But that's Sports they Illustrated. Like that's not a joke of a publication. It's Sports Illustrated. That was a joke. Like, of an their, they weren't serious though. In no, in their bowl game projections after four weeks, Where did, if the season ended right now, it'd be Alabama and Kansas in the Sugar Bowl. That oh, was what they're. On. I'm just saying. But but again, so coming back down to earth a little bit, like. You know, can they end up ranked if they beat Iowa State? 100%. Will they end up ranked, you know, if they beat TCU? 100%. Could they be 6-0? 100% they could uh, before they go and face Oklahoma in the middle of October. All those things could happen. Bull eligible. All of that. And this momentum continues to grow. And regardless of the, the final record at the end of the season, the wave is building. And the perfect storm is there. And there's an athletic director in Travis Goff who knows what the hell he's doing. And he's got it. cares about character, football. Cares about football. Is a smart guy. Knows what he's doing. And a football coach in Lance Leipold that... My gut tells me he's not leaving Kansas. That's what my gut tells me. I was going to ask I you about that. The you know, the, and also, does this change the conversation on conference realignment? You know, and, and we can br- throw the Wildcats into this too. You know, there people say, "Oh, you know, is Kansas State a big enough deal?" And Kansas State just beat your SEC team. And I get it that Oklahoma has a bigger brand. Nobody's going to argue that KU or Kansas State is a bigger brand than Oklahoma nationally. Would never say that. Would never say that. KU's got basketball. That's the only thing that helps them compete with Oklahoma football. KU or Kansas State as a brand in and of itself is not as big. We understand that. But you've got a packed house at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. I mean, this week, it's going to be... It's going to be a madhouse there. It always, I mean, they sell it every year in Manhattan. So that's not, that's nothing new. But you, now you're getting sellouts in Lawrence with that fan base. And, you know, does it change the conversation on KU and Kansas State and conference realignment? I think it might. The problem is that I still don't think that it's very likely that either will move because I think the Big Ten, they are looking at, you know, the conversation before was we want programs, we want fan bases. Now we want media markets. We want time zones. So I I still don't think the SEC jumps in to Kansas. I don't think they care. They have the central time zone with Oklahoma and Texas now and Texas A&M. I think the the, the Pac-12 is bound to dissolve at this point. I think the yep. Big Ten is going to get Stanford, California, probably Washington, and one other school. Who probably knows Oregon. what it is? Probably Oregon. And then yep. I think that you know the Big 12 comes in, takes the four corner schools, Utah, yep. Arizona, Arizona State, and one more. Colorado. Um, probably Colorado. What, how hilarious would that be yeah. if Colorado comes slinking <laughs> back? Oh, so now you're back. Um, but I, you know, honestly, I think that KU can look at that and say, Hey, and Kansas state too say, you know what, if we can keep our programs at the level that they are now, why can't we be competitive in this league? There, is yeah, there any I, reason that we can't be good in this right. league? I think that's, I think what you just said is exactly what's going to happen. Dennis Dodd from CBS sports had an article that came out uh, today on Thursday, actually talking about that exact scenario that the big 10 is negotiating with Amazon and Amazon wants the big 10 to have a few more schools and they're eyeing those four. You just mentioned Cal Stanford, Washington, Oregon, and then that would leave the big 12 with the four corner schools. Yeah. The PAC 12 is that point is Pac-12, dead. And the PAC 12 has just, they, they've been idiots in this entire thing. They let USC and UCLA walk away 
And then they basically just kind of sat back and said, we're the Pac-12. We're, the we're not going to champions. Look at our tradition. The- like, that should be enough. And that's just not the, the landscape anymore. Can you imagine and- the thoughts of one stoned somewhere, I am sure, <laughs> Bill Walton right now. Yeah, bad, he has to be losing bad. his mind. How can the Conference of Champions not be? Yeah, well, it's going to be a conference like, of precisely nobody at it's this It's that point. elite, like... Our accreditation, academic integrity, oh, and we have we have the we have the Rose Bowl and like all those like all that crap. Like it doesn't matter. It's all about networks, media deals, money, and and nil. What like happens that's, to the Rose Bowl at the Pac-12? I don't know. That's ultimately what it all comes down to. But you look at those schools that and, and Brett Yormark from the Big 12 to his credit has been very aggressive and very public in saying he wants that fourth time zone he wants to go out west and Arizona Arizona State Colorado and Utah make perfect sense it does and I know that we're talking and I don't want to derail the conversation away from KU and their football program but uh, I know we're talking football but how great of a basketball conference would that be? Oh like Arizona, my gosh. Arizona State, Utah, Colorado, and then you're adding Cincinnati, Houston, UCF, BYU with the current Big 12 teams. Like that is a basketball powerhouse. Like not that only that, so but, much fun. Well, I mean, you look at what Arizona and Arizona State, those have been a couple teams that have popped KU a couple of yeah. times. In recent memory, you've got Coach Tang. We both think that that program's going to be on the come up at Kansas State. Yep. Yeah, I think that it could be. BYU has been a program that has at times bubbled up with that big star. Houston, obviously, not that far removed from being the worst Final Four team ever. Shout out to you, Weston. We miss you, kid. Um, but yeah, you know, I th- I think basketball wise, yeah, fantastic basketball league, stronger yeah. basketball league Without than doubt. it was with Oklahoma and Texas. Without, Without a doubt. Re pivoting back around to KU, just a couple more things I wanted to to, to harp on. We've got to talk about the offensive line because the offensive line has been so suspect, so leaky, so basically immaterial the last few years. Jalen Daniels is protected right now. He's been sacked yeah. once. One time, the whole year, KU through four games has rushed for 1,027 yards. They have lost 37. They're averaging 6.7 yards per carry. Their opponents only 3.6. They've out-touched down their opponents on the ground 14-7, to and KU is dominating on third down. 66% conversion rate on third down. They're 20 of 24 on red zone touchdowns, and their opponents are eight for 17. So similarly to what Kansas State or kind of what the Chiefs defense has been, this the KU defense is a work in progress. We understand that. They have made big plays, but they have gotten it done on third down, and they have made plays. They have gotten teams off of touchdowns in the red zone. But I think you all you have to, again, this offensive line, these quarterbacks for KU, you know, maybe if they had this protection, they would have been better. I, I don't think that they're going to be as good as Jalen Daniels, but Daniels has been protected, and this rushing attack has been very, very good. You know, this offensive line for KU is way better than I thought it would be. There's one word to describe this Kansas team, and that's resilient. Uh, yes. There have been teams in the past and we've seen it a lot where they get down a couple scores and the, you know it's over coming back it's it's done you just and turn the tv off Kansas and you go team. about your day yep they they went behind on west virginia they fell behind against houston came back and won both of those games they were out in front the entire way against duke much however, better start however their opening drive they got it down to the one yard line fourth and goal on the one and didn't score it in and turned it over and then a little bit later on in the first quarter 
the Jayhawks were driving, and I believe it was Devin Neal fumbled and on like the 20-yard line. And so both of those situations in years past happened, and you're like, there it goes for Kansas. Like, yeah, you, the, the opportunities to score were so few and far between in the past. Margin of error not, is way bigger now. If you're not now. taking advantage of it, the team is done. That's not the way this team operates. And they they, they jump back into it. And that's a reflection of their leader in Jalen Daniels, oh. who is absolutely incredible. And by the way, side note, I sure am glad that I got in on him at 100 to 1 odds to win the Heisman when I did, because those <laughs> odds have dropped down to 33 to 1. Uh, at, at least the sports not a bad. value. So. Yeah, so I got him in at a hundred to one odds to win the Heisman a couple of weeks ago, just for fun. I'll win a thousand bucks if I end up, you know, hitting it hey. on that. Um, but regardless, that's beside the point. This team does have so much talent offensively, and you know, you mentioned, you know, the when we first started talking about this, that I was at the game, and there's something that I didn't appreciate watching on TV. Uh, as much as being there in person and seeing was the amount of misdirection that the offense has. And, you know, there I'm, I'm like, we were sitting back behind the end zone. And so when the team was, um, on offense and they were moving away from us, but they were deep in their territory, you could see the offense pretty clearly. And there were, there are people, the receivers moving constantly like in motion and just, uh, and it's hard to not look at it at first and be like, that's a little silly. Like that looks like a lot of window dressing, but it apps, they're getting guys wide open. Like what Andy Kotelnicki is doing offensively is just, it's like a pro level offense and defenses in the league so far. Uh, they've not been able to figure it out. And Daniels Eventually, is making throws. He's yeah, progressing. He is putting the ball on guys. Yep. You can't understate the impressiveness of Jalen Daniels in the passing game. So that's been that's been so cool to watch. And and I want to make sure that I answer your your question before before we move on. You asked about Lance Leipold and my thoughts on whether or not he's going to stay or not. And of course I, the job that everybody is rumoring yeah. is Nebraska. He does have ties there. He was an assistant there knows about the program. I have some thoughts on this as well. I also asked some Kansas state fans at the bar last night. Uh, you know, I was there hanging out after my, my sports league and like, Hey, what about Chris Kleiman? Chris Kleiman, you know, you go to yep. beat Oklahoma. Why doesn't he get back on the radar now? I think Chris Kleiman does, but I'm not sure Chris Kleiman is in any hurry to leave. I agree, because you said he loves his athletic director. Yeah, Gene Taylor, they've been together for a long time. I'm not necessarily concerned about that. Um, But with Leipold, I think that there is this momentum that's growing where, you know, and you saw it at the booth last week. You're going to see it again this week for Homecoming, where he's basically worshipped after four weeks of a season like basically like you are the savior of this program like and and so Leipold has to and I think Travis Goff to an extent also these guys both have to weigh I said this on the radio show they both have to weigh is the grass greener on the other side so for Lance Leipold is the grass greener on the other side by going to a Nebraska or another program And for Travis Goff, is the grass greener on the other side without Lance Leipold and whatever that plan looks like? Is it promoting Andy Kotelnicki to head coach? Is it going and going through another head coaching search that I'm guessing a lot of the fan base, they're pretty weary to go through another coaching search at Kansas. So is the grass greener for Travis Goff? Probably not. Is the grass greener for for Lance Leipold? Probably not. So what you're saying is that Goff is going to have to maybe cough up another another new contract. Absolutely. But I think that the timing is right. You're riding the momentum of 4-0 and renewed national interest in the Jayhawks. And I think that Travis Goff, 
can call up the big money big money donors that had been reluctant sure. in years past to do anything Kansas football He has something related, to sell now. Have something to celebrate and to, to say, look, we need to keep this guy if we want to build the new stadium that we've been talking about you for a while. You better get it done the, right now. You know, like the, the strike while the iron is hot. Yes. And so the, I, I do not doubt, I don't know this, it would not surprise me if at some time during this as the season goes on that we have an announcement for a brand new contract for, for Lance Leipold that is a lot more money, a lot more years, a much higher buyout and it locks him in and he's continuing to build this program. And I thought it was interesting. You know, Lance Leipold was asked, I think it was after last week's game about the Nebraska job, like in his press conference, he didn't really, didn't really deny it. Like it was kind of one of those like non-denial denials. Like I'm focused here on my team. Like, okay, that's great. But you didn't answer the question. Sure. Since that time, he's been a little bit more firm. Like he's gone on different shows where he's been like, my family and I are very happy in Kansas. We didn't come here to move. The guy's 58 years old. Like we didn't come here to leave after two years. And so I think that if you give him a financial commitment, you show him that, that we're willing to push all of our chips out to the center of the table uh, he he's going to be the guy. That's that's what my gut tells me. The 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 thing you have to weigh with Nebraska, they will obviously have better facilities. Sure. They will obviously have a bigger fan base. There's no doubt about it. Nebraska yeah. is the biggest property. You will be the king of Nebraska. So you. I'll you're tell gonna- you one thing, real quick, real quick. Kansas could finish the year four and eight or five and seven. They could lose out. And Lance Leipold will be celebrated at Kansas this season. You also cannot have say, cannot say the same thing if he goes four and eight or five and seven at Nebraska. If you go that to Nebraska, does not happen. You will have a far more unreasonable fan base. Yep, absolutely. Where winning four or five games will get you fired. You're yep. expected to win at least nine. And if you're Frank Solich, nine is not enough. You just get fired. And if you're Bo Pelini and you have a better record through your first seven years than Tom Osborne is, you get fired. So, you know, why do you want to go to Nebraska when basically it's you beat, you have to beat Michigan and Ohio State and Wisconsin every single year and basically make the college football playoff or your year's a bust? Or you stay at Kansas, you win six games every, you know, you're going to have some six and six seasons probably at KU, but you do what you're doing right now and we'll build you a statue. Just something to think about. KU yep. is getting three, sometimes three and a half, depending on where you look, against Iowa State for homecoming. So KU a home dog against the Cyclones, Tommy. KU covers that. I think they cover that. It's homecoming. I think they can win it's the gonna game. Be, it's gonna yeah, it's gonna be another sellout in the booth. Um, you know, it, what's what's interesting is that if I'm figuring out Vegas correctly, I'm still pretty new to this. Uh, home field advantage typically what accounts for like three points, three to three and a half there. points. Yes. So really, they're saying that Iowa State is about a touchdown better than Kansas is. That's what they, that's what they would say. I don't necessarily agree with that. I like Matt Campbell. Um, and really, this, what the Cyclones have built with Matt Campbell should be the blueprint for the way Kansas builds their program. Agreed. They've, they've done a great job with that over the last few years, Matt Campbell. Um, in fact, I, I would love to see Matt Campbell as the Nebraska coach. I think that'd be... He said that he has interest in being the Nebraska coach. Um, you know, so I, I don't know. But I, I do think that Kansas can cover... Um, but I, I like them on the money line too. I think that they can they can win. I also like the over, by the way. At like I think it's fifty. I think I got it at fifty six and a half. And I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna scoop that up real quick. 
Uh, KU at against Iowa State. That is a 2.30 kickoff on ESPN2 this weekend. Last topic of the show, our Royals season in review. The Royals are not done with this season, but we're going to go ahead and get it out of the way now because they suck. It doesn't really matter what we say <laughs> at this point. 63-93 and 93 after today's 10-3 and 3 loss to the Tigers. And, of course, the main impetus for this segment now is the big change at the front office. The Dayton Moore era is over. He is out as director of baseball operations, J.J. Piccolo has been elevated to the vice president of baseball operations. Royal saying, of course, there was a gap between where they were this year and where they expected to be. We on this show, as recently as last year, had said that they were building to be a contender immediately. Obviously, that is no longer the case. Dayton Moore took Kansas City from an absolute utter ruin, built Perhaps the three best year span in the history of Royals baseball, three straight winning seasons, back-to-back World Series appearances, and of course the 2015 World Series title. It was a magical ride. It was an amazing memory, a tremendous moment for Kansas City Royals baseball. But obviously, Tommy, the Glass family made the decision that this year was just too disappointing and Dayton Moore is out. Your thoughts on the state of the Royals this season for the Royals and what a post-Dayton Moore era will look like now that J.J. Piccolo takes the helm. Well, first off, it's not the Glass family anymore. It's John Sherman is the owner oh, yeah. uh, of the Royals. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Slip my mind I, there. Sherman I, I do, family, yes. But I, but I do it think It looked like that, a lot of the Glass family teams sure. that they had. So, yeah. Good point. But I do, you are correct. I do, I do think that... It tells you everything you need to know about the character and the kind of guy that Dayton Moore is for the fact that he was invited to the press conference announcing that he was basically sure. being fired um, and was allowed to address the, the media. Like typically that doesn't happen that way. Doesn't always um, happen. No, but he he is from all accounts and I've never met him. I don't know him, uh, but from all accounts, just a, a great stand up guy. And deeply, deeply cares about the Royals organization and will continue to care about the Royals organization. And it it cannot be stressed enough what he was able to do for the Royals during his tenure. It wasn't always good. It wasn't always pretty. But when it was good, it was great. And, you know, the the fact that they went to -to back-to-back World Series and and they were able to get that ring. um, As the Royals? Yeah, it is so difficult to do as a small market uh, team, and they were able to pull that off. And, you know, I think going back to the kind of guy he is and the character that he has, almost to a fault a little bit. Like, I think that looking back on it, we can all say, yeah, he might have hung on to some guys longer than that third year. That was probably a mistake, but we were, you know, you know, he want to keep the band together and it's emotional and we love that by these guys. And like, I get it. I get all of that. But, you know, in retrospect, you look at it might have hung on a little bit too long. Like we we didn't want to as fans. We didn't want to see Hosmer go. We weren't ready to say goodbye to Moustakas. No, not at all. And and so I, I get it. Um, the, but I think that Unfortunately, as we all know, in a business like this, it was time. It was time to move on. Agreed. It was time for time for a fresh voice in the front office. Um, for as well as the Royals did in uh, scouting, they didn't do a great job in drafting, at least recently. They've no. not drafted well outside of Bobby Wood Jr., um, but outside of him, really, they've not drafted well. Asa Lacey is a guy that comes to mind as somebody who right now is languishing in the minors and was supposed to be like 
an anchor of a rotation by now for Kansas City. Like they've had some swings and misses there. Yes. And then, you know, development has been a problem as well, especially development and pitching has been, you know, to, to case in point is Asa Lacey, development in the farm system for pitching. They've got a really bad farm system right now. And that's that's been a hallmark of Royals teams that even when it was bad on the major league front, they had a good farm system. The Royals don't have a good farm system. No, the right Yankees now. quadruple A team. Yeah, and so they've got to do a better job at that moving forward uh, with JJ Piccolo. And but I what the one other thing I want to say about Dayton Moore before we talk about the future of this team. So as you know, and anybody that listens to this podcast knows, I'm a diehard Atlanta Braves fan. Have you are. been my my entire life. Um, where he general, where Dayton Moore came from exactly. So the general manager of the Braves during their huge run in the '90s and early 2000s. Uh, was John Sherholz. John Sherholz came from the Kansas City Royals in the 80s and was one of the architects of the 85 World Series team for Kansas City. So there's a lot of Kansas City-Atlanta connections. Sure. John Sherholz was there in Atlanta. Dayton Moore was a disciple of John Sherholz. John Sherholz developed a great farm system, always treated his players really well. People wanted to play for that franchise. Dayton Moore left Atlanta to come to Kansas City to be the GM. And so I've always had a ton of respect for Dayton Moore because I saw the guy that mentored him and knew the character that he had. And so I've got a special place in my heart for Dayton Moore. And uh, his tenure was the best of any general manager in the history of that franchise. And so sad to see him go, but it was time. Yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, it's hard to say because there are so many guys, you know, you need so many. It, it's not the baseball is a sport where even when you have a generational player like Shohei Otani, even when you have two generational players, Mike Trout on the same team does not necessarily mean that you are set up for success. And the cupboard is not empty for Kansas City either. You've got a guy, Bobby Wood Jr., hitting 256, who is second best on the team. Pascantino hitting 284. There is talent here. Salvador Perez continues to be an anchor, 22 home runs, hitting 249. You look at the pitching staff for Kansas City, and Brady Singer's putting it together. I can't believe that I'm saying this. Daniel Lynch might actually be a big league pitcher. Um, The Royals have a foundation, but it's still, Tommy, I don't know what the plan is. I hope that they have a plan, that they get a plan. Uh, You know, Houston had to suffer for several years before they won their World Series title. The Royals doing the same, but I still feel like they are several pieces away from putting it together to contend for the Central. Cleveland's had a very, very good year. They've already won the division. Um, it, it feels like this is going to not get better for a couple of years, but hopefully the the plan, the practice can start right now to get this thing so that maybe in two or three years we're talking about the Royals contending for the playoffs again and maybe getting on another run. There are some really big decisions to make. Uh, coming up. It, it starts with Mike Matheny and his coaching staff. Um, I think by all accounts, he's probably out. Typically that happens. Um, GM know, wants their own got, guy. Yeah. You know, and, and Dayton Moore's gone um, by the way. And I, I want to get, I want to get back to this here in a second. Um, but this is kind of breaking news. I'm watching the, the Thursday night football game in the background Tua Tagovailoa is really hurt right now. Wow. Um, so while people are um, listening to this, you'll know by then what's going on. But his he got hit hard. His head hit the ground and his 
His hands are going rigid. Like the, I don't know how the NFL let him play. Like concussion wise, that was really bad. They're loading him onto a stretcher right now, and the wow. whole team is like around him. Anyway, side note. Sorry, I got distracted there for okay. for a second. But it starts with Mike Matheny, um, and by all accounts, he's he's going to be out. And then you have to decide with the current players, like how long are you going to have this experiment go on before you realize, all right, yeah, these guys are for sure going to make it in their major league. Uh, players at an impact level or we go somewhere else. And so that's going to be a decision by J.J. Piccolo. It's going to be a decision by, I'm guessing, whoever the new manager is going to be. Um, It's going to be a really interesting couple of years to figure out what's going to happen. We'll see how that works out for the Royals as they will be back to work and we'll be talking Royals baseball coming up in February. One more piece of business to wrap up on the Keeper of the Games for this week. Of course, it is our Wichita Whip Around. It is time to hit the music. Time for a trip around Wichita, see what else is happening in Wichita sports. That's not the middle right of thing. The country, but that's not the right middle. thing either. Wow. <laughs> we just totally lost control of what we were doing. We clicked on the wrong thing four times. Uh, we need our own producer. Yeah, we hey, you know what? Uh, we'll, we'll get our management team on that. Yeah, I I I totally lost. Yeah, it's the boom sound. Go ahead, save me from myself, Tommy. What's your whip around story today? So, I actually have two. I'm going to do one and then you can do yours, and then sure. if yours was not my my second one, then I'll, I'll go again. Go First off, it. hats off to the Wichita Wind Surge, uh, making their way all the way to the conference uh, series or the championship series against Frisco. They were eliminated in the best of three series after two games to Frisco, but they had a great run. They took down Tulsa uh, in the the opening round. Uh, and looked really good doing it. And then, unfortunately, they weren't able to get that uh, home victory in Game 2 against Frisco, and it got down to extra innings. And unfortunately, the bullpen couldn't hold, but uh, it was a great run for the wind surge. Two years in existence, two playoff runs, two chances to win a championship. I think it's a matter of time, uh, but uh, it's been a pretty great start to that franchise. I am going to KCAC football for my uh, Wichita Whip Around this week. The Friends football team got to 2-3 and three on the year, a 38-20 win over St. Mary at Adair Austin Stadium last time out. It's for sure a Terry Harrison offense, 50 carries, 291 yards, running that flex wow. bone, four touchdowns. Zach Dressler carried 20 times for two scores. The plays were big. Their quarterback, Jack Mullen, 6 for 10, 130 yards at a score. But also, just looking at the KCAC as a whole this week, Southwestern at number six, Bethel at number 14, Kansas Wesleyan at number 16, Bethel and Southwestern currently tied atop the standings at 4-0, K-Dub is 3-1, they lost to then number 22 Bethel in week three, they are going to the Spires this week in Leavenworth, Bethel is at winless Bethany, you want to talk about hopeless football programs right now the terrible Swedes are living up to their nickname they have been outscored 135 to 6 over their first three games terrible terrible football they are hosting Southwestern on the 8th at 6 p.m obviously a huge night game coming up builders this week at home to host McPherson at one o'clock on Saturday but that Bethel and Southwestern game that'll be coming up in a couple of weeks um, so before we are on the air next, uh, I'm sure as a mountain builder fan, you got to make your way to that one. Don't you, Tommy? It's been pretty cool. I mean, I've been following how this team has been playing and, and ranked, you know, as high as they are. 
Um, we didn't even ever sniff that when I was at Southwestern. Uh, I, I called a lot of really bad football games uh, <laughs> yeah. during my time yes. with the Mound Builders, so that's that's pretty exciting. Um, so my other Wichita whip around is is was different, and so I'm going to tell yep. talk about it anyway. Uh, I don't know if you saw the renderings for the potential new Cessna Stadium on the campus of Wichita State University. Uh, it looks like the Shockers are uh, hoping that that's in place by 2026 and the potential to have uh, women's soccer as a D1 sport at Wichita State uh, would be kind of the, the primary use, uh, and that in track and field. Yeah, it's, uh, it's being new, built primarily for track and field, but women's soccer is in the – they're building it yeah. so that if they want to have soccer, yep. it will work at that stadium. So pretty cool that that's uh, the case, and I think it – at least in my mind, with when you look at the renderings and the seating capacity and all of that, should effectively put to bed any talk of football ever coming back to Wichita State, which I think is a good thing. Like, let's stop the conversation. It's never happening. This new complex will not allow for it. It's just not going to happen. They did say football is a possibility there, but for high school games. So they, they right. do think that it will that it can host high school games. Sure, it um, could host the Holy War and you know different things sure. like that. But uh, as far as a, a, a university program, not going to happen. Does not appear to be in the cards. Uh, additions, corrections, and retractions. One addition, Wichita State Volleyball is actually going to be at home this week. They were planning to go to South Florida and Central Florida. Don't know if you've uh, noticed, they've had a bit of rain down there, so they're actually going to be hosting some matches. They are hosting a non-conference match that doesn't even involve Wichita State, 4 o'clock on Friday. I believe that admission is free for Central Florida and Tulsa here in Wichita, and then the Shockers are going to be playing Central Florida. Uh, I think it's Central Florida. It might be somebody else. On uh, on Sunday, that's going to be a 1 o'clock first serve for the Shockers. So Wichita State Volleyball getting a couple of extra games, picking up the slack for Central Florida, who is supposed to host some volleyball, uh, but being moved, obviously, because of Hurricane Ian. Uh, I have no corrections. I would like to retract the messed up sounds that I just played five minutes ago, so I will <laughs> air horn myself for that. Any A's and R's for you, Tommy? No, I think I corrected you enough during the course of the show. I mean, um, I feel like there was like maybe one correction I on the glasses. You about that was the it. Ownership of the Royals. Uh, I, I feel like I corrected you on something else, but uh, that's neither here nor there. If you didn't remember, then it didn't happen. So that is going to put one, episode 103 in the bin. A couple of big time football games coming up for Kansas State, KU, and the Chiefs these next couple of weeks. And we are going to be obviously extremely football heavy. Coming up as all three of these teams have had very, very interesting seasons. Once again, we love that you like, share, and subscribe the show. Appreciate the support so much. It means a lot to be able to bring this to you every single week. Cogsports.com for all the updates. Follow us at CogPod on Twitter. Tommy, if they want to follow you on Twitter, how would they do that? Pretty easy to do so. Follow me at Tweets from Tommy. And I, you know, I cannot think I cannot stress enough how much we appreciate our beloved audio listeners each and every week i'm at be crips on twitter we will see you in a couple of weeks we'll see you next time for episode 104 on the keeper of the games take care guys you've been listening to keeper of the games don't forget to subscribe download and listen on all major podcast platforms like apple podcasts google podcasts spotify stitcher iHeartRadio, and more visit our website at cogsports.com 
Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod.